It's a good day, isn't it? I'm glad that you're here. I just uh, want to give thanks to God for all that he's doing. Amen? It's good. I'm sure Eric and Rhonda are thankful today as they have a new grandson in the world. Yeah. His name is Tough. Right on. And Tough, now when I hear his full name, when you hear his full name, this sounds like a kid that's going to do great things. His name is Tough Gordon Ethan Allen. And so this kid is uh, probably not going to get picked on in the playground. He's probably going to be the kid defending the other kids. And uh, we're just thankful for him. He's a healthy 7 pounds, 14 ounces, good looking kid, uh, fits in with the clan quite well. <laughs> I, 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 have, I saw Leah and Josh. Um, couple hours after uh, the baby was born and you'd never know she just delivered a baby she just you know looked like she was just having a nice rest on a nice day you know (laughs) Josh is as happy as ever so praise God they're doing well and that's exciting and and uh, we can't wait for that baby's first day at church it's gonna be a good one so let's open our Bibles let's get them out Thanksgiving huh you know we don't have to preach on certain things next to holidays. I, we don't have to do that. But you know what? The scripture is full of examples of certain prescribed times that God would lay out and say, on this time of the year, I want you to remember this. On this time of the year, I want you to have a feast celebrating this. So it is a godly concept that there are times of remembrance. There are times where we, where we, where we, really say this is the day that we're going to we're going to remember this and we're going to celebrate this not that you're not thankful all the other days but it is a godly thing to be reminded and to celebrate it you know uh the great day of pentecost where the church began it is the day of pentecost you know it wasn't called the day of pentecost after that 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 day when they were all filled with the holy spirit it'd been the day of pentecost for for you know millennia It was a a feast that God had told them to celebrate, and it was no coincidence that the Holy Spirit came on that day, and we won't get into that now. It was no coincidence that that Jesus was the Passover lamb and that that he died at Passover during the time of the Passover feast. It's no coincidence that, uh, I mean, as as we go through when Jesus said, um, I am, if anybody wants water, drink of me. If you're thirsty, drink of me. It's no coincidence that that was during the Feast of Booths. So God instituted these feasts to tell them to look back and remember something, but also to look forward at something new that he was doing. And so we're going to do that. And as we remember that tomorrow in Canada, it's Thanksgiving day. And I think behind resurrection and behind Christmas is probably the third most godly holiday that our government recognizes. And a lot of people don't see it that way. You know, you get together, you eat turkey and you watch football, but it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. It is a holy day. I'm not against eating turkey and watching football. That's all good. But here's what it's really about. It's about Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, in 1957, when this was made an official national holiday, you'd be amazed at the wording that was used when they, when they instituted this holiday. In fact, I think I've got it here. Um, because for me, just hearing... Uh, what the government says, sometimes we're so used to our government being so, uh, so dreadfully dry at times and, and uh, tripping all over themselves to, to be politically correct 
But I want to read you, um, when this Thanksgiving Day was made an official Canadian holiday, these were the words that were used. They said, it shall be, and this is on Thursday, January 31st, 1957, the Parliament of Canada proclaimed, they called this a day of general thanksgiving to Almighty God for the bountiful harvest with which Canada has been blessed to be observed on the second Monday in October. A day of general thanksgiving to Almighty God to give thanks for the bountiful harvest that Canada has been blessed with. Isn't that awesome? That's just 1957. That's not that long ago. And you know, though, the, though there are forces within and without that would want to change that, maybe change the wording if it were done today, it is still recognized in our nation that there is a day where we give thanks to God. Amen. Now, there are people that don't believe in God. They go around the table and say, I'm thankful for this. And I said to you before, that always struck me as a little odd because I don't know who you're thanking. You know, you're just kind of saying, I'm thankful for the sun. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful that I'm healthy. And I don't know if you're thanking the pumpkin pie or if you're thanking the turkey. But generally, when you're, thank when you're giving thanks for these things, you're recognizing that somebody else did it. You don't look in the mirror and just thank yourself for being you, do you? I don't know, maybe they told you that. In today's public school system, they might have told you to do that. <laughs> But you know, you, you're not thanking yourself. You're, you're recognizing that something else was at work here. Right. And that's a wonderful thing. You know, I have a book on my iPad. I've got a lot of old, I've got a lot of old books on my shelf, but I've discovered that a lot of really old books, the copyrights after a while, no one renews the copyright. So a lot of the really cool old books are now in the public domain. And there are companies like Google and, and, and others that have said, well, they're stu it's stuck in a library somewhere. There's no copyright on it anymore. We're going to digitize it and put it online free for people to have. So, you know, if you, if you, if you go on, you find all these old books and histories and things like that that are free. And, and one of them that I have is The Three Voyages of Martin Frobisher. Anybody remember Martin Frobisher from public school? Like he wasn't a kid that you went to public school with. He was somebody you learned about in public school. Anybody remember him? Show of hands. This is depressing, but yeah, okay. <laughs> Some of you were born in other places and you have an excuse, but you Canadians. <laughs> As Eric said, Frobisher Bay, named after Martin Frobisher. Martin Frobisher, uh, when he came over, uh, he brought... Some folks with him, some I'm sure were the rusty old sailors that, you know, had their own way of life. But he did bring a godly man with him. Let's see if I have it here. Uh, a, a preacher who got everybody together. And, and you know, Martin Frobisher's uh, journey and his, his sailor's journey to the New World was quite fraught with difficulties. It was, it was uh, one of those things where they had a lot of opportunities to totally just be wasted and uh, somehow they survived and when he got over there uh, when he got onto Canadian soil when they survived it he said this and I would, I'd love to read it to you here um, this was in 1578 Martin Frobisher and his men came and they, they landed uh, they made their anchorage at Frobisher Bay 
And a man named Robert Wolfall, and in, in this text, and I'm having trouble reading it because it's that old English way of spelling where they add ease where there doesn't need to be ease and things like that. But it, it says, Master, Maester, it says Maester, but I know they mean Master. Master Wolfall, a learned man appointed by Her Majesty's Council to be their minister and preacher, made unto them a godly sermon, exhorting them especially to be thankful to God for their strange and miraculous deliverance in those so many dangerous places. And what they did was, as he, as he began to preach to them, and he began to say, we need to be thankful to God. You guys think we were lucky. We weren't lucky. God saved our lives. So he says, let's be thankful right now. Let's get together. Let's be thankful. And they begin to give thanks and praise to God. Maybe some of those old sailors had never had a service like that. And they didn't know what to do. I'm sure some of them were godly and some of them were, you know, on the fringe. But they all got together and began giving thanks to God. And they took communion. And as they did this, there was just all of a sudden just an attitude of thanksgiving. Where they recognized, as he said, God delivered us. We had some, as he calls it, strange deliverances from some crazy circumstances. Sometime down the road, there were other explorers. Other, and you know, I'm sure there were people giving thanks to God before those guys came, for sure. I certainly don't want to leave out the people that were already here. Later on, there were French explorers that came. One of them, in fact, as he began to... Um, uh, make friends and, 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 you know, would uh, develop the society there. It was far beyond before it was a society, but as they began to settle in, in New France, uh, Samuel de Champlain, anybody remember him? That's better. Okay, we're getting better. Pretty soon I'll marry, uh, mention Jean Chrétien, see if anybody remembers his name. <laughs> but as Samuel de Champlain came and uh, he did the same thing, he said, we need to give thanks to God. And he proclaimed a day of thanksgiving. And what happened was they did that every year. They said, this is a good thing. And they actually uh, formed this, this little society of, of thanksgiving where they said there was a group of them that said, we're going to make this our, our job, not only to give thanks to God, but to invite our new friends here. And so they made friends with the tribes that were surrounding. And every year they'd give thanks and they'd invite these tribes over. Kind of sounds a little bit like the American Thanksgiving, but, it, but different. And so this was something that goes deep into our history. It was in 1957 that it became a national holiday, but it goes way back. And it's a godly thing. It's a temptation now to think that we did this on our own. You know, the, the, the smartest thing that that preacher said in, it, way back when they first landed, the smartest thing that Mr. Wellfall said was that we didn't deliver ourselves, but God delivered us. You know, we're surrounded by opportunities to think that there are areas we're doing good in, there are areas that we're doing well in, there are areas that we're not doing so well in. But we have to recognize that every good thing comes from his hand. Yeah. I want to read you something. Let's go to the book of, of Romans. And we're going to go to the first chapter. You know, a few weeks ago we read in Ephesians, we read about... Um, Staying alert in an attitude of prayer, right? But as the Bible says, it says stay alert, and it says with an attitude of thanksgiving. Always, you know, praying for all the saints, but it says stay alert in an attitude of thanksgiving. It's supposed to be something that's perpetual in our life. Is thanksgiving. It's supposed to be a real part of our lives. In Romans chapter 1, uh, the book of Romans is laid out 
with the prime objective to let the Jews and the Gentiles alike know that they need Jesus. He's letting them all know that God's not playing favorites anymore. That Jesus came both for the Jew and for the Gentile. That only by faith we're saved. And so in the first chapter, he, he goes through a lot of different things, but there's this section in the first chapter where he kind of talks about how everybody went off course and how these Gentiles got way off course and how our ancestors messed some things up. And in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to go to verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So it's not a new thing where you have people who suppress the truth for their own wicked gain and they use wicked methods to suppress it. But he says this in verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. This is a big thought. He says that which is known about God is evident within them. In, in other words, there's a part in all of us, even before you were told about God, even before you were told about Jesus, there's something in all of us as human beings that is aware of God. That is aware of God. Now, you may spend your life denying it. You may spend your life trying to fight it. But there is something in each of us that says there's a God. The scripture says in the Old Testament that he placed eternity in our hearts. There was something in us that, that cries out for that. It's not a surprise that in today's day and age where people are turning from a belief in God and thinking, well, this might just be a big accident, that they find themselves in their spare time seeking out the supernatural in other ways. It's not a coincidence that the airwaves are full of stories that are, that are wrong, that are not true, but stories of the supernatural stories of, uh, I mean, we entertain ourselves with vampires and zombies and all these things. We wonder why there's such an appetite for it in our culture. Now, I hope there's not an appetite for it with you. But there's an appetite for it in our culture because those that they, they, they've rejected, they might have rejected the idea of God, but there's something in them that says, I know there's more than this. There's something in them that cries out for the supernatural because they know there's something more than what we can see and feel. They were created to worship. And what we do is if we don't worship God, we end up worshiping something else. That's, that's the way it will always happen. So people worship their jobs, they worship their money, they worship their, their celebrity heroes, whatever they do. But we were created for worship. We were designed for it. Before mankind ever sinned, you think about what is my purpose on the world, on the earth? And some of you might say it's to, it's to lead people to Jesus. And I think that is an awesome purpose. But even before there was a need to lead people to Jesus... You know, when Adam was put on the earth, nobody was dying. There was no need to get anybody saved. So the first purpose of humanity was relationship with God, was worship. That was the first purpose. Leading people to Jesus is an awesome responsibility because we are reconciling people to God. But the whole point of leading people to Jesus is so that they would be reconciled back to God and brought back into right relationship with him to that primary purpose for humanity. So here's the deal. Because we were created for that, we long for it. And if we, if we reject God, we fill that space with other things. 
Whether it be something, you know, whether it be an addiction, whether it be a love for something that's, that's never going to love us back. We feel that thing. We fill that space with other things. He says, that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. He goes on to say, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen. That's a huge thought. We think, no, 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 they haven't. We haven't seen, I mean, I mean, doesn't the scripture say no one's, no one's has seen God, but Jesus explained him. Yes, that's true. But there was, uh, no one has, has fully looked God in the face except in the, in the, in the face of Jesus. But even before that, even without that, there is something in the creation around us. There's something in the mountains. There's something in the forests. There's something all around us. And when we look at the sky, when we look at the stars, that God's fingerprints are all over it. And it says his nature. It says there's three things. His invisible attributes. Isn't that funny that his invisible attributes are clearly seen? Doesn't that seem like an oxymoron? If they're invisible, how are they clearly seen? Well, they're shown in the things he's created. Let me ask you a question. If you really want to get to know Leonardo da Vinci, you can't go and, and, and book an appointment and go talk with him now, can you? He's not available. But if I wanted to get to know him, I could read about him. But one of the ways I could get to know him was to study his work. And as I look at his art... As I look at his designs, I get to know a little bit more about who he was. In the same way, God's creation, not even in the same way, even in a greater way, God's creation is full of his fingerprints, full of his nature. His invisible attributes, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that that, has, that which has been made. So in other words, his nature has been clearly understood by the things he created. There's a reason that you're filled with awe when you see mountains. There's no evolutionary purpose for that. Right? If you, if you believe that this is all just one big accident. If you believe that we're all just kind of, we just ended up here. And everything we do is, is just instinct, is just animal instinct. Then explain to me why you feel the way you do when you look at mountains. What, what evolutionary purpose does that serve? How does that help you? How does that help you as, as just a basic animal? What, how does it help you to feel love towards a human being? And not the kind of love that gets you something, but the kind of love that doesn't get you anything. That goes against an evolutionary nature. That goes against instinct. In fact, many of you might have uh, be familiar with the, the philosopher uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. Anybody remember, know his name? I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you this. I'm not going to get you to raise your hands anymore. <laughs> I'm just going to be like silent confessional. <laughs> Friedrich Nietzsche. I'm, I'm sorry. You guys know this. I know a lot of you just, you're afraid I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not going to ask you a question. You might have heard the name, but he was a philosopher in, in the last century. He was, he was the one that famously said, God is dead. That might sound familiar. He said, God is dead. It's not a surprise that his dad was a minister who was kind of just a minister of pretty dead religion. I find 
the pastor's kids either get super on fire or super cold. And it, it, a lot of it depends on whether, whether what's being preached is just mere religion or a real relationship with God. And I'm not blaming it all on the parents. You got to make your own choices, but that has a lot of effect on it. If you see him, you see your dad preach one thing, your mom preach one thing, and you see something different at home, that's going to, that's going to scar your heart. I'm thankful that, you know, I, I saw my dad preach something and I saw him live it out. But Nietzsche said, he said the noblest thing, because he was, he believed in ev pure evolution. He believed there was no God. He was, a, he was a strong atheist. And he believed that uh, the, the noblest thing that humanity could do was for the strong to rule over the weak. Because that was the order of nature, survival of the fittest. See, what Darwin made, clear, made in his theories, Nietzsche made in philosophy. Guys like Hitler made it political. And he based a lot of what he did on the philosophy of Nietzsche. Now, that doesn't mean everybody who believes that's going to go out and do something crazy. But that was the natural evolution. If you think that we're just evolutionary beings, now, now there's, there's evolution in nature. I don't deny that. But if you just think that's why we, we were not created by a creator, we were not, you know, we just were an accident that evolved from some small thing. If you believe that, then you must believe at some point that your number one goal is to survive. And if you have to step on somebody's head, to do it that's what you do because that's the way nature is and so he said he said well god is dead and he said he said the noblest thing is that the noblest thing is for the strong to rule over and to dominate the weak and you know what he said he said christianity messes with that because christianity flips it upside down where the strong are bearing up the weak where the first or last where we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute them. He was mad at Christians because they were messing with evolution. Because they were disproving it because they were, because he felt society was suffering because the strong should rule over the weak. And these Christians are saying the strong should take the hand of the weak and bear them up. That Jesus, who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, came to earth and said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. So he was frustrated with this. And there's something in you when you know that there's this love that, you, that God gave you that doesn't make sense. You love people that you can get nothing from. And it's evident within us that this is a different type of love. But let's go back to this. His eternal powers, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. Someone may say, well, I didn't know there was a God, but he's saying there was something in you that knew that. All you had to do was look around you and know that there was a God. It takes discipline of the mind. It takes training. It takes cognitive dissonance. It takes hitting yourself over the head to convince yourself that there is no God. Because when you, when you first come into the world, something looks up and says, there's more to this than I know. And I thank God for science. But you know the beauty of science? It's always changing. It's the greatest thing about science. It's never done. We're always learning more. And we're like the ant that just came upon a shoe and thinks he figured out the meaning of the world. Because <laughs> we found a shoe. Surely this shoe is our God. But the shoe 
is merely on the foot of a human being. You know, the shoe is, is not really running the world, but to him it is because the shoe could step on him at any time. That's what our, our science is like, that little ant that just discovered it. We're just barely scratching the surface, and we think we got it all figured out. The, I, the most wonderful and beautiful thing about science is it's never done, and it will bear out what God has said. And here's what it says. We're without excuse. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him or give him thanks. Let's hear that again. Even though they knew God, they saw that something was at work here. They didn't honor him and they didn't give him thanks. But they became futile. What does futile mean? It means useless, pointless. It's a waste. They became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. He's telling you the history of our ancestors. He's telling you the story of humanity. He's telling you how so many of our ancestors, wherever you came from, how so many of our ancestors got off track and stopped worshiping the true God and started worshiping animals and trees and other things and then eventually worshiping themselves because that's the end of the story. That's really what a life without God is. That's, that's the eventual end. You're worshiping yourself. You're a humanist, you worship you. Here's the deal. This is how it started. It started that they knew God was behind this. They had a sense of it, but they didn't honor him. They didn't give him thanks. So their thoughts became pointless. They got way off track. And their foolish heart was darkened. Where there once was light, Tony, there's darkness now because they refused to honor God and give him thanks. And they began to just say, well, it is what it is in verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. That's the story. The Bible says, and it's so true. It's so true. The fear of the Lord that means the reverence, the honor for God, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. It's the beginning of all knowledge. You want to know something, start with knowing him. But we think we're so smart, like that ant. We think we figured it out. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23 and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. You see, that's what happened. We stopped looking at an incorruptible God and began to shape our gods after corruptible things like people, like animals, like trees. You look at some of the Greek and Roman mythology. If you've ever studied some of the Greek and Roman mythology, you find out that their gods are jerks. They're scheming, conniving jerks. Why? Because the god you make in your own image will never go it will never be better than you. The god you make in your own image will be flawed. They're backbiting, they're, 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 they're picking sides, they're cheating on each other, they're doing all these things. Why? Because they made their gods in their own image. God in Isaiah mocks the idolaters. 
There were some of his own people that began to carve idols. Why? Because they were tired of not seeing God. And they refused to give him thanks for what he'd done. And so they shaped gods in the image of people. They shaped gods in the image of animals. And they carved it out of wood. They carved it out of stone. And God mocks them. And he says, you guys, take a piece of wood. You cut down a tree. And half of it, you burn in the fireplace to keep you warm. And the other half, you carve a face on it. And you say, this is a god. He says, how stupid is that? But that's what happens. Professing to be wise, we became foolish. And you say, oh, no, 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 no. It's 2013. We're enlightened. We're wise now. We figured it out. You think? You think? Find somebody who has a textbook from 1950 and how they thought the world began. Find out how much has changed in just 63 years, how much that whole story has changed. And it'll be different. By the time my little son grows up, it'll be all different again. We think we figured it all out. And yet at the same time, we realize we have no clue what happened. We're just beginning to see little clues and, and schemes. You know, it's, it's not far off to know that the universe began with a bang when God said, let there be light. And there was. That sounds like that would have created quite the bang. But anyways, I'm not claiming I know how everything worked out. You see, when God tells the story, he doesn't give you all the scientific details. He just told you the the broad strokes. I'm sure there was a lot to it. If he began to tell the Israelites and he began to tell Moses to write down what happened with every atom and molecule, boy, that book would be way too big. But I do know he created it. And I know that there was an Adam and I know there was an Eve. And I know that man was created in the image of God. But those things aren't going to change. Here's what it says. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is the problem with humanity. Like I said, in 2013, we, got, we think we got it figured out. We don't believe in a pantheon of gods living on some mountain somewhere. Our society doesn't believe in uh, gods carved out of wood or stone. You know what we've done? We've just made the gods look different. We're our own gods in some ways. That's a popular teaching. You are God. <laughs> We think we're our own gods or, or we, we, we place certain things on such a pedestal that they might as well be God. It's the same lie. You're exchanging the worship of the creator for the worship of the created. You're exchanging the, the honor for the creator for the honor of the created. The created is perishable. The creator is timeless. Money won't last. None of this will. And so this is what happened when they stopped giving thanks. See, that was the heart. When, when your thanksgiving is in the right place and your worship's in the right place. When your worship's in the right place, 
then the rest of your life falls in the right place. Because you see what happened when they stopped thanking God and they stopped worshiping God, they started worshiping other things. And eventually it affected everything. It affected everything. They not, it not only affected their society, it affected the way they related between man and woman. It, re, it affected the way they uh, related with one another. It affected the way their society ran. It affected all these things. And they went into all sorts of sin because they ceased giving honor to God. Here's what I'm telling you. Thanksgiving is the cornerstone of worship. And when we give God thanks, everything else comes back into line. If you read through that rest of that chapter, you see how everything just went wonky. Everything just got messed up. And it all started with them not giving thanks in the proper way. Why? Because when we give thanks to God, we are honoring him and we're saying all good things come from you. We're putting him at the proper place. We're recognizing that he is the beginning. He is the first. He is the alpha and the omega. He's the one that started it all. He's the one that's going to finish it all. When we honor him, everything else falls into place. It's like him at the top of the pyramid. Everything else comes into the right spot. But when you cease to give him thanks and you think you did it or you just think it happened that way, you stop giving God the honor and thanks he deserves, other things tend to fill that spot. And there's a vacuum and things move into it and you find that everything's messed up in life. But I'll tell you, stuff gets messed up when God's not at the top. You want to keep him at the top? Stay thankful. Oh, what a life when you just continue to thank God, when you make it a habit to thank God. I want to read something to you out of Revelation chapter 4. We're going to read this and then we're actually going to follow in the footsteps of our, uh, some of those first explorers. We're going to give thanks to God and we're going to take communion together. I'm sorry it's not pumpkin spiced, but uh, <laughs> still be good, right? <laughs> Revelation chapter 4. John is caught up in a vision where he sees things in heaven. He sees things that are going to happen. He sees things that are happening and have happened. He meets Jesus face to face. In Revelation chapter 4, after these things, he says in verse 1, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, say, said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. See, John is getting a sneak peek of what happens in heaven. Who do you think the one is sitting on the throne? That's Jesus. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. There's a lot of mystery surrounding these 24 elders. Who are they? Are they angels? Are they people? The fact that they have crowns signifies to me that they were saints. They were people like you and me who earned a reward, earned a place of government. Because the Bible is full, especially in the New Testament, of um, rewards of the crown that God gives. And there were 24 of them that, that had these crowns. They've got these, 
He's, he's allowed them to sit on these thrones. They've got white garments. So these are the cream of the crop, right? Like these are the best of the best. We, we want them to speak at our church. But they're busy right now. <laughs> hey, there might be some of that crew that's not there yet. I don't know. But here's what happens. They're, they're sitting on there. And they got golden crowns on their heads. In verse 5, it says, Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. Can you imagine that? Standing out from the throne is lightning and flashes of peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. You see, John is trying his best to describe what can't be described. You notice that? He's comparing it to things he finds on the earth. He's like, it's like jasper. It was like emerald. It's like a rainbow, but it's like emerald. He's like, there was something in front. It was like a sea of glass, like crystal. You can imagine. You're seeing these things. They go, I don't know how to describe this. It was kind of like lightning. It was like thunder. Then he says, in the center and around the throne, wow, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Can you imagine this? Four, and he just, he doesn't know what to call them. He doesn't know what to call these things. He just calls them living creatures. All I know is they were alive, and they were obviously creatures they were created. I don't know what they're called. And in fact, if you look, they seem like a combination between the seraphim and the cherubim. They seem like uh, some sort of mix of those things. But it says, they're full of eyes. <laughs> can you imagine somebody, a description? All I can say is they were full of eyes. Well, that's freaking me out already. <laughs> Just try to sleep tonight. They were full of eyes in front and behind. I don't believe this is going to bring you fear. These are good. The first creature was like a lion, the second creature like a calf, the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around, and here's what's freaky, and within. They've got eyes around them and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy Holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. It says they're surrounding the throne. Some, some believe that, that they're constantly circling around the throne. And every time they see a different side, and they're, they're just in awe. And they say, holy, holy, holy. It's, it's, this is not something they're instructed to say. This is something they can't help but say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, these guys with the crowns, these guys with the fancy seats, these dignified people sitting on their thrones, it says when this happens and whenever these angels start to say, holy, 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 it says the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever. And they will cast their crowns. To cast means they throw their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. This is what's going on in heaven. It says that these weird little creatures, they don't seem little, these weird creatures, 
(laughs) These strange, maybe is a better word. These strange, unusual creatures are surrounding the throne and they are constantly, it says they're worshiping God and they're giving him thanks. Because thanksgiving is at the center of worship. You want to find out what real worship is. A lot of times we look in the book of Revelation, we find out how they do it in heaven. And as they do it in heaven, so we say we better try that on earth. No, I don't have any creatures with eyes without and within. But we were created for worship. And as they circle around and say, holy, 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 as soon as they start to do that, I mean, you think I'm in this fancy seat. I got my fancy throne. I got my white robe all ironed. I've got it all set out. I've got a nice crown on my head. I'm dignified. People are looking at me and saying, I wonder what that guy did. But as soon as these creatures begin to say that, these guys get up from their seat and they fall on the ground and they take their, their, their crowns off. And it doesn't say they place them nicely so they won't get dented. It says they throw them at the feet of Jesus. They cast them down. They throw them at the feet of Jesus and say, you're worthy. Everything these creatures are saying about you is true. You're worthy of it all because you created all things. By your will, they were created. By your will, they existed. By your will, everything exists and has its being. See, that's that original Thanksgiving that says God created it all and everything is for him. And everything exists for him. When we lose that and we stop giving him thanks, do we really think, do we really think that we're higher than those 24 guys who earned a place on those thrones? Do we really think that we're somehow better than them? They earned crowns. These aren't just fancy hats. They earned these things. They earned them. Now, as, as much as a, a man can earn something, is purely by the grace of God. But they were given to them as a reward. If anybody could sit, sit dignified on a throne, it's these guys. But they recognize that God deserves the honor and the thanks and the praise. For he created all things. By his will they were created. By him they exist and still have their existence. It's at the heart of worship. It's the heart of who we are is thanksgiving to God. As it says in Ephesians, keep in an attitude of thanksgiving. Philippians 4 tells us to not worry about stuff. Don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious for anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's who we are. Guys, this is not something we do. It's something that we are. We are designed to thank God. We're designed to recognize him. Here's the deal. In Romans chapter 1, when they stopped giving thanks, they stopped recognizing that there was something to give thanks to. They they stopped seeing it. You can get in a place where you say, well, I'm not very thankful because I don't have much to be thankful for. Do you know what? That's not God. That's your own blindness. It just means that your heart's been darkened to the point that you no longer recognize all the stuff that God's doing. It's not that he stopped being good. It's not that he stopped being the creator. It's that you stop recognizing. Never, ever, 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 ever say, I don't have anything to be thankful for. If all that God did was create the universe, he had something to be thankful for. 
If the last thing that Jesus did was die on the cross for you, you'd have more than enough to be thankful for. But we all know that's not even the last thing he did. You have something to be thankful for. See, the problem in Romans 1 was not that God stopped being the creator, but that they stopped giving him thanks and honoring him. And when you stop giving thanks, something happens. Your eyes get closed. Your heart gets darkened. Your speculations become futile and foolish. I find that the people that are constantly thankful have more and more reasons to be thankful. You know what I mean? I've met thankful people, consistently thankful people, almost annoyingly thankful people. (laughs) And these guys and gals, these people are always being thankful for something. And what's funny is they just don't have a list of greatest hits. They're so thankful that the more they're thankful, the more they see they can be thankful for. And so, I mean, it's just kind of like a cycle that never ends. The more they're thankful, the more they recognize they have to be thankful for. And they end up saying things like, I don't have enough time to tell you what I'm thankful for. Can you sit down and let me give you just a best of? Can I give you a rundown? Because God's been so good. Let's get back to that place. Let's train our hearts to thankfulness. Let's train our mouths to praise. Let's train our minds to remember that as much as you think you figured it out, it begins and ends with him. He is the creator of all things. Thank God that he gave us a brain that we can use. And fortunately, if you're allowing your mind to be renewed and washed, then you'll... That brain can be used for great and mighty things. God used guys like Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton feared and honored God greatly. And when he discovered the theory of gravity, he did it in honoring God. If you read some of his writings, he recognized and honored the creator. And God was behind that. The trick is, you begin to think you figured it all out. You begin to think you know everything. You actually get dumber. You get really stupid. It's kind of like going to preschool and thinking, I'm done, I don't need anything else. When we give God thanks, when we begin to thank him, you find there's more and more things to be thankful for. Make it a habit. Can I ask you, can I challenge you with this? Every day, compel yourself. Take a moment, take many moments. And stop yourself and begin to thank God. Not just in your head, vocally. And if you want to take it to the next level, tell other people. Thank God with other people. Thank God in the presence of other people. Tell people, you know what God did for me? You know what I'm so thankful for? I thank God that he put us in a nation that still has a holiday called Thanksgiving. But let's never save it for one day. You know, it's often a tradition on Thanksgiving meals for the family to go around and tell what they're thankful for. Why couldn't you do that every day? I'm not telling you what to do in your own house, but let's be thankful. Let's worship and honor the creator. Amen. Stand up with me. We're going to take communion right now. And we're going to honor 
Jesus' sacrifice. As we take communion, we remember this. That Jesus paid the debt that we could not pay. That God had mercy on us. And when we couldn't find our way, when we couldn't pay our own debt, he paid it for us. What we couldn't do, God did through Jesus Christ. And as we take communion, Jesus told us to remember. As often as we do this, he says, do in remembrance of me. Thanksgiving is really remembrance, isn't it? But it's also looking forward. And when we thank God, when we take that bread, we're remembering that the creator of all things, the creator of the universe who didn't mess up, we did. But the creator of the universe so loved his creation that he came down and became one of us. And he gave his body to be broken and to be bruised and to be pierced and to be wounded and whipped for us. For our transgressions. For our iniquities. For our sickness. When we take that cup, we remember that his blood made a new covenant with God. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness, there's no remission of sins. Sins can't be taken away without somebody dying because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And God loved you enough to say, I don't want you to die. He sent his son, Jesus, to die in your place, to shed his blood in your place. When we take this, this blood is a symbol of a new covenant with God, a new treaty with God, a new deal. Where he says, my righteousness has now become yours. And though your sins are many, though your heart is like scarlet, they will be washed whiter than snow. Praise God. Thank God for his goodness. Isn't he good? Isn't he great? Isn't he wonderful? Is there anything like, is there anything like our God? He's just that good. He's just so good. And we honor and reverence you, God, for your good and your mercy endures forever. There's no end to your goodness. There's no end to your love. For by your will, all things were created and had ex- have their existence. We have our existence in you. We were created for your pleasure and your glory. I thank you for your blood. I thank you for sending your son to die in our place, to show us the way to live, but also to give us a way to life. Thank you, Jesus. Before we take communion, I want to ask if there's anyone here tonight, this morning, we haven't been there that long. Is anyone here this morning that's never received Jesus. You've never, maybe you grew up thinking there was no God. Maybe you were like the people we just read about that didn't honor God, didn't know there was God. Maybe you did and you just rejected it. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ took what you couldn't take. He paid for what you couldn't pay. Our punishment would have been death, but he did it for us. When I say us, I mean humanity. There's nobody that's too far from the grace of God. There's nobody that's beyond the love of God. There's no sin that's too big for the blood of Jesus.
So if you're here this morning and you say, I'd like to receive Jesus, I'd like to receive his forgiveness, I'd like to trade my life for his life, my sin for his righteousness, my blame for his pardon. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Is there anybody this morning that would like to receive Jesus? That's never received Jesus. And you say, this morning, I'd like to receive him. Thank God. Well, if we're all believers, let's partake of what Jesus told us to do. That we partake in his sacrifice. And as we commune with him, we commune with each other. We're the body of Christ, and that's something to be happy about. I want you to know, here's what makes you worthy. The blood of Jesus has made you worthy to stand in his presence. It's made you worthy to eat at his table. Bible says that we should rightly discern the body of Christ. And I believe that comes in two ways. We rightly discern the body that was given for us, but we also rightly discern the body around us. We recognize that in Christ, we stand together, we stand as one. That's a big deal. Would you guys, I know that sometimes we do this different ways, but could we just kind of come around the table as best as we can and and if you have small children that, that are really too young to be able to hold a, a glass <laughs> without spilling it on the carpet, then, you know, it's all right for them to observe. Um, it's all right for you to serve them if you'd like. Um, but let's be mindful of that. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to pass these, uh, this bread and these um, cups out, and we're going to partake of the table. So would you come forward, and we're just going to do this together. I know sometimes we've, we've done it just family by family, but we are the family. We are the body of Christ, and so as, as, as well as we can, we're going to do this in an orderly way. And I'm going to get... No, it's okay. I, I want to get uh, Tim... And Eric, could you help me? These guys are gonna <laughs> pass out first. Actually, put that put that down. <laughs> we'll do the bread first. Um, they're gonna pass out the bread, and here's what we want you to do. If you've never taken communion, don't be freaked out. This is a completely wonderful and natural thing. But as here's what well, it's supernatural actually. <laughs> but here's what we're gonna do. As he just offers you the bread, there, just take a little piece. All right. And then just hold it in your hand, and we're going to pray over it together, and we're going to receive it together. So as they go around, they're just going to offer you that, and you just take a little bit and hang on to it. As we get ready to, to partake, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, the last supper that he had, he showed us how to, to celebrate the, the, the feast, the Lord's table. And he took the bread and he broke it, and as he held it up to heaven. He blessed it and he thanked God. And he told them, this is my body, which was broken for you, which is broken for you. And it harkens back to the, the book of Isaiah where Isaiah said, we thought <laughs> this guy was so beat up and so bruised and so messed up. We thought that God was punishing him for something. He said, but the truth of it was that he was bruised for our transgressions, for our sins, for our mistakes. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Yes. Jesus took what you couldn't take. You know, the reason we have this kind of bread is because this is Passover bread. In the Passover, 
There was no leaven. Leaven represented sin in, in that particular um, feast. And so they would get all the leaven out of the house to symbolize that there was no sin because there was no sin in Jesus when he gave his body for you until he took on your sin. But he was the sinless sacrifice. And so this has no leaven, which is why it's so flat and crunchy, because it's unleavened bread. But you also notice that it's got those marks on it. It's, got, it's pierced. It's got stripes. That's just the way it's cooked. But when we look at it, we remember that he was pierced for our transgressions. And by his stripes, we are healed. So I want us to just pray right now. Father, we thank you for your sacrifice, for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for laying down your life for us, for your body which was bruised for us, for the stripes that you took for us, for the sacrifice and the sin you bore on your back. We thank you. We honor you and thank you. We could never have done that for ourselves. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. We eat this in remembrance of you. Go ahead. Thank you, Lord. Then it says he took the cup. As Tim and Eric go around and pass it around, just take one. He took the cup. And he said, this is the blood of my covenant. This is my new covenant with you. A covenant, covenant's been something we don't take as seriously in this day and age. But it's a big deal to God. A covenant is an oath that can never be broken. Scripture says when we are faithless, in other words, when we break our end of the covenant, he remains faithful. There's nothing you can do to get God to break his covenant. It says he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. When we take this, we remember and Jesus shed his blood for us. Should have been mine, should have been yours. But he, he shed his own blood. He gave it up to buy us and to redeem us back. To pay a debt we couldn't pay. And as we take this, we remember we've got a covenant with God. The Bible says this covenant is based on new and better promises. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. What a good, what a savior. What a savior. I think we're still passing out some of these cups, but let's think about how big the blood of Jesus is. The Bible says that this blood completely covers our sins. It takes them away, actually. The book of Hebrews says that while the blood of goats and bulls and rams, which is the Old Testament, while the blood of animals could merely cover the sins for a, for a time. The blood of Jesus completely took them away and made you perfect. That's what it says. It's able to cleanse and make perfect the worshiper. Isn't that powerful? <laughs> all, that, all that those sacrifices in the Old Testament to, could do were temporarily atone for your sin. Temporarily cover them. But what Jesus' blood did was completely remove them. And he says, as far as the east is from the west, you get on a plane right now and you fly east, you will never, you can fly east for, for miles and miles and miles and miles. You can go around the world several times and you'll never be going west. You'll always be going east. As far as the east is from the west, 
That's how far he's taken our sins from us. We thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for the covenant. We receive it. We know that our righteousness is not ours, but it's yours. And we receive it as your gift. We remember you. We remember you and thank you in Jesus' name. And we drink all of it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The blood of Jesus is big enough. It's strong enough. It's great enough. It's big enough for me. It's big enough for my friends and my family. Right now, as we've taken this communion, he said, by his stripes we're healed. His blood brought a, bought a covenant with God. If there's any sick among us, God wants you healed. And right now, if that's you, would you just put your hand, if, there's, if it's a part of your body you can touch, put your hand there right now. If it's a part of your body you can't touch, just lift your hand to heaven. In the name of Jesus. As we partook of your sacrifice, as we partook of your covenant, we remember our covenant with you is short. You said that the prayer of faith would save the one that is sick. You said that lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And right now we believe that your blood is big enough. By your stripes we were healed spiritually, soul, and body. We thank you for it. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? Do we have enough to be thankful for? Yes. Let's be thankful. Hey, you know what? We we kind of been slacking off a little bit. See, Natalie's right here, and she. I'm not saying Natalie's a slacker. I'm saying we've been slacking. <laughs> Natalie's our point person for testimonies in this church, and we want this to be a church that recognizes what God has done every day recognizes what he's done at the beginning of our walk with him before we knew him recognizes what he's doing today so I want to encourage you as you go home and you think about this and thank Thanksgiving and think about what you're thankful for you know I want you to consider saying hey I've got something to be thankful for and I'm going to tell other people about it because your testimony could be the very thing that encourages somebody else that they can win. That, that, that God is, if God can help you, he can help them. It could be the very thing that breaks them through. So let's also, let's, let's keep that in mind. And if you've, got a, if you've got something that God has done in your life that you just got to share, um, would you contact Natalie and uh, just let her know? And whether you talk to her in person, your phone or Facebook, email, just let her know. Say, I got a testimony. And we'll make it work so that you can tell the whole church about it and you know when you tell the whole church about it you get good at it and you get to you get that confidence up so you can tell <laughs> you can tell people that don't even go to church you can tell them about it i mean how will they hear the goodness of god if you don't tell them right, right, right. are we all breaking our cups there is this like a you know jewish thing you know <laughs> yes 